Greetings and salutations, one and all. Jeffrey Wheatman here, and I am your host for another episode of Risk and Reels, the podcast where we talk about movies, and if we have time, maybe we'll talk about some cybersecurity. So today, my guest is a relatively new friend, Carlota Sage. Uh, Carlota and I met... I think probably on LinkedIn, and then we got we did some face to face over the summer at uh, DefCon, and we've had a bunch of conversations since uh, spread around all of your globe trotting, which we'll we'll talk about in a little bit. So say hello to all of our listeners out there. Hello, everyone. Thank you for having me, Jeff. I'm really excited to get some time with you. You're one of my favorite people. Oh my gosh! Thank you so much. That's you, maybe you should talk to my family and tell them. Uh, I'm not, I think I'm not always their favorite people, but although although I was, I will say yes. I will say before before we started the recording, I was talking uh, with Carlota and and Jess, our producer, uh, about a, a cool fireside chat that I did last night with a bunch of CISOs. That was super fun, um, and my family showed up for that. All my kids and my wife and my sister showed up. So. Oh. Maybe, maybe, maybe they like me after all. <laughs> all righty. So we're going to, we're going to get to your background because I think your, your background and all your globetrotting is super interesting. But as always, as everyone knows, we always start off with a movie question. So let's see. Okay. I got a good one. Um, so what is an obscure movie that you love that everyone else should love and why? Oh, my favorite obscure movie. It was so obscure that in that, that time I worked at Netflix, the hipsters were like, wow, Carlota, that's really obscure, uh, is Six String Samurai. And it is a post-apocalyptic fantasy, kind of, uh, if the Russians had won, won World War II and, and taken over the U.S. And Elvis was king of Vegas. And Elvis has died and all of these icons, you know, all of the characters are based on iconic singers of that time. They're trying to make their way to Vegas to claim the throne. And it is ridiculous and wonderful and has great music and beautiful scenery. It's really well done indie film and I cannot recommend it enough. All right. So I'm going to have to check that out. And you actually just made me change what I, what my obscure movie was. But so, so if you're a samurai fan, I have a, a great Netflix recommendation for everyone. It is called blue eye samurai. It is, uh, it's a, I think it's 10 episodes. Uh, it's animated. It is on Netflix. It is, a. a Japanese style, not quite manga, but the story is just really, really good. I actually got my uh, my daughter who is watching Friends for the 90th time actually to to watch it. So yeah, definitely check that out. It's really very, very well well done. So I so I put I wrote down uh, Six String Samurai, so I'm gonna have to check it out. But so originally my obscure movie was going to be a movie called Primer, which is a, a movie about time travel. But yeah. that's not what I'm going to talk about. Instead, because you mentioned Elvis, I am going to talk about a movie called Bubba Hotep. Bubba Hotep. Oh, yes. so good. I am a huge Bruce Campbell fan. Yes. I would literally watch a video of that dude watching paint dry. Yes. Uh, he just makes me laugh so hard. But yeah, but, but Bubba Hotep, I don't even want to ruin it. Everyone out there, you just have to go it. watch Bubba just Hotep. Yes, yes. It. So, so funny. Yes. Ancient Egypt comes together. It's brilliant. Yes. And, and, and don't forget, uh, um, a former president is, is oh, in yeah. there. Not a recent former president, though, so we don't have to yeah. we don't have to get political. Right, so, right. all right. So awesome. So, um, 
I want to hear a little bit about your background, but first I have to ask you a question. Where are you now? You're you're like my Carmen San Diego. Where in the world is Carlota Sage? I actually thought about changing my last name just for that reason. Um, at the moment, I am in Cary, North Carolina. I am house sitting for some friends of mine and just kind of chilling for a little bit. And I spent a month in France and Spain just uh, right before the holidays. And I probably headed to the Philippines or Australia next. I'm still trying to figure out exactly where I'm going to land. Okay. Yeah. I know we, when we chatted last time, we talked a little bit about, about the Philippines. So that was kind of an interesting, interesting thing. So, so Carlota is the, the founder and CEO of a company called Pocket CISO, and they provide virtual fractional CISO services. And I, I'd like to kind of talk a little bit about that because that's been a very interesting market or service offering and we've seen a lot of buzz uh, around it but yes. so tell tell our listeners a little bit about your background i think you have a, an interesting journey an interesting story definitely because especially with the the ciso versus v or fractional you know ciso um that ciso versus v ciso can be very tense um because CISOs don't think that a lot of VCISOs are real CISOs. So uh, I'll get to that discussion in a moment. I myself had about almost 18 years in enterprise uh, IT, um, usually doing large-scale large implementations of content management systems, big enterprise systems, a lot of enterprise architecture, information architecture. And I ended up at, uh, on the IT team at a little 300-person startup called FireEye. And it was supposed to be a six-week contract, and I ended up being there in nearly five years. Uh, I did go full-time very quickly. Um, but it, it was interesting because in my you know, history of IT before that, I had not encountered cybersecurity. It wasn't really a thing when I got to, you know, until I got to FireEye in 2015. The companies that I was working for uh, were some big-name companies, Netgear and Netflix. They probably had security teams we just didn't interact with them. So it was really eye-opening to, to get to a security vendor and be very tight with their security team and really get to, to see and talk to the CISO. I was actually originally um, the, the platform admin for the content and collaboration systems, meaning that I was actually the admin for uh, the communities. And the, the guy that they had hired to do to, to run the communities, the customer and partner facing communities, was not very technical and he was not interested in security from what I can tell. <laughs> he, he just was not, um, he wasn't driving it in the way that it, it needed to be. And the, it was, the, the support folks were not interested in it. He wasn't able to engage them. And I would get these random questions. And one day I got this question about our IPMI product and I thought, Wow, you didn't even Google that. You would know that's a hardware standard, right? So what are people asking in our communities? And I, I got out there and I ended up taking over and running the communities for three years for FireEye. And so I got to help hundreds of security teams around the globe solve problems, right? And I, I got to see literally hundreds of, of people dealing with WannaCry and not Petya in real time while we were trying to support them through that. So that's how I got into cybersecurity. And... Um, I loved it. I really did. But after five years of that, right, I, I took a break. I was going to start my own company doing a knowledge and community platform. And uh, sadly, my mother was diagnosed with terminal cancer. So I chose to take a year off and focus on family. 
Um, and I do not, I will never regret that decision, best decision of my life. And, you know, I got really great time with my family before my mom passed. And, uh, you know, once I started thinking about what do I, you know, I've kind of lost momentum, I've lost the heart to, to build a product, um, what am I going to do with myself? And I, I kind of hung my shingle out as a consultant and started working with a nonprofit that I had done my master's capstone with. And I was doing review of open source product. And I kept flagging security issues. And I tried really hard to, to get them to hire a full-time CISO, Chief Information Security Officer, right? And they were not ready to do that. They, they just weren't comfortable with it. Um, and they asked if I could be the part-time CISO. And I said, well, yes, because clearly I know more about this than you do. <laughs> so that's how I became a, a virtual CISO. And that's very contentious for, for a lot of people coming out of enterprise. There, there is a, a whole movement that you cannot call yourself a virtual CISO or a fractional CISO if you've never held the CISO title in an enterprise organization. And I fundamentally disagree with that because I will absolutely put my history of helping people secure their, their businesses at an enterprise level and at a small business level up against anyone. Yeah, so so I want to I want to pull on that thread, but I, I just I want to point out there was actually a very interesting uh, thread on LinkedIn the other day, started by a very good friend of mine who's actually been on Risk and Reels, George Alcora, and basically George I was in a pissy mood for whatever reason. I mean, George, I love you, but he was talking about how virtual CISO and fractional CISO shouldn't be a thing, and I kind of went, you know, I got to be honest with you, George, I love you, I have to disagree. People need you, but people can't afford you. Right. People can't afford full time, but they need someone. And I kind of laid out like kind of, you know, some rules and, and I had done some research on this in my previous job, but you know, like setting expectations, what are the deliverables? What's the, what's the knowledge share? And what's interesting is I was talking to people about this whole virtual CISO thing 10 years ago. And at the time it wasn't really a good thing. We yeah, saw either the big consulting companies come in and charging you a ton of money and then walking out. Well, we know we can't actually get them out. Or you found people who, well, I'm an engineer. I could be a CISO, but no one's going to hire me. So I'm going to go be virtual CISO. So, so let's talk a little bit about, and, and in particular, I think it's, it's great to note that you focus on really very small customers, right? So mid-sized enterprises, MSC or SMB, small, medium businesses. But I think you're even on sort of the, the smaller end of that. What are, what are some of the unique challenges that you see those organizations facing? I think it's really interesting because, you know, I, I did serve that 50 to 500 market for several years and I've moved down to, to the sub 30 employee organizations because they need someone who is a technology generalist. They need a virtual CTO, virtual CIO, virtual CISO all rolled into one. And for me, that's a very fun space. I really enjoy that. But for somebody who's been a Fortune 1000 CISO, they would find that very boring. That is not interesting to them. Um, and even on those, you know, 150 to 500 person organizations, the idea that uh, a Fortune 1000 or Fortune 5000 even CISO um, is going to find those, it's going to find those, that that space interesting if they're not well funded, is is laughable. Like you can't when you're in the Fortune 5000, you have money. 
to spend on tooling. You have teams that you get to build. You know, when you are starting with a 100-person organization, uh, I felt lucky if they had an IT person, if they had a full-time IT person, right? These are companies that are sometimes making, they're making good money for what they do, right? They're, maybe they're making 50, 100 million a year in revenue. Um, but somebody who's coming out of a Fortune 5000, that's, that's not going to be interesting to them. Um, they're going to immediately try to sell in a bunch, buy in a bunch of tools or build a team. This is what I've seen happen. And then there's no money for it, right? So they, a lot of them don't know how to actually get that initial buy-in to even start the security program because they've inherited a security program. They grew up in a security program. They're used to having that funding and that budget, and they don't know what to do. Right. So there, so there are a couple of things there I think that are, are really interesting to explore. So, so I, I think maybe I might disagree with you a little bit about the boredom part because I think sometimes those folks want that extra challenge, right? So, hey, you know, I built a program with all the money. What could I do with no money? Right. And, and I, and I've shared on the podcast before I built a security program at Martha Stewart when I lived there, literally with like a buck three eighty. I had no dedicated people. I built that team and built the, the function. And that was maybe one of the most interesting times in, in my life. Of course, it culminated with uh, a legal investigation, which ended up someone going to prison, but that's a different story altogether. So, yeah, but I think that that's a really interesting thing. Um, are you seeing so in this virtual CISO market, right? In this fractional CISO market, whatever we want to call it, are you seeing former CISOs that are burnt out and don't want the accountability? So who are you seeing sort of kind of pile in there to 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 do that work? Right. Uh, a lot of times it is former CISOs. I think that. Um, there, there are a lot who are ready to not work full time, but not ready to retire. And virtual or fractional CISO work is a great option for them. They're willing, maybe a lot of them weren't at the Fortune 5000, so it's an easier transition for them. They're better at the kind of the politics of it and of getting that, of, of being an influencer, which, you know, um, you have to do at the bigger companies as well. But I think there's enough kind of speciation uh, within the security org that not everyone sees that, right? So um, often I will see folks who were IT managers, were IT directors, were hands-on technical, even hands-on technical security people, and they want to use the vCISO role as a, has a launch pad into a CISO role, into a CISO role, and with varying degrees of success, right? If they're... Uh, if they're good with the, the soft skills, they're going to go far as a VCSO or as a full-time CISO. Um, but what I, I see just as many hit it, realize, no, this is not all about the technology. This is not what I want to do. Um, and I can pass this client on to somebody who's going to. I, I get a fair number of clients this way. I'm going to pass this client on to somebody who actually wants to do this from a soft skills and who's relatively technical. Um, and I can go focus on the deeply technical things that interest me. So it's, you know, it's a mixed bag of who I see coming in. Um, five years ago, I started, five, six years ago, um, there were not as many resources for people who were kind of exploring that VCSO space. And the VCSO space was, like you said, it's dominated by the big four consultancies. Um, and it's dominated by consultancies that start up from Fortune 500, you know, kinds of CISOs starting their own consultancy. And I'm seeing this shift and, and you know, I had 
at some point kind of set down my own consulting firm and went and joined Rob Black at Fractional CISO because I just didn't know if I was doing it right or, or not, right? Um, am I doing this VCISO thing well? I think I am, but I, I'm not, you know, I'm not a, a, an objective third party. Let's go join this other consulting group and find out. And it turns out I was doing it really well. So I went back to doing my own thing. But, I, I, know, know. I know Rob. I know Rob. Yeah, Rob's He's actually great. been on the on the podcast. Although yeah. he refused to wear a wig when he did my podcast. I guess the wigs are only for his videos. So Aww. I was a little bummed. But he, yeah, he did a great, uh, uh, a, a great job. Yeah, yeah, Rob's a fantastic person. And he looks specifically for people who are leaders in other spaces that have some exposure to security, you know, engineering managers, that sort of thing, because he feels like I can bring you in, I can train you up on the BCSO piece. Uh, and I think that's going to be an um, increasingly more viable career path for people wanting to kind of break that, break into management is to go join a consulting firm, learn the, the VCSO space and then take all of that consulting skill with them into a full-time role. Right. And one of, one of the trends I'm seeing too is that some experience, so I don't, I don't like to use the word seasoned because people hear seasoned and they think old, but right, right. some some of the experienced CISOs I think are taking a step back because they've either had bad experiences where they didn't have the backing or they're concerned about some of the regulatory oversight, the new SEC ruling, what's going on with uh, with Tim Brown over at SolarWinds, uh, what happened with Uber, right? So they're doing the VCSO thing because they can do what they do and they do really well without the, the level of accountability. So right. I agree. I think we're going to continue to to see that. One and the other the other trend I'm seeing too, and I'd be interested to hear whether you're seeing this as well, is that because the market has sort of cooled down a little bit for labor, I feel like a bunch of companies think they can get bargain basement CISOs, and I think the comps are dropping, and I think right. the people out there they're like, yeah, no, I'm not not really interested in that. Are you, are you seeing more of that? Are you seeing more people coming and looking for your services because of the shift in the, what the comp models look like? I, I think so. I think that is a, a big factor. And I don't know that the comp models are ever going to come back up because now what we're seeing are more companies in Australia, uh, you know, um, who have a much lower cost of living, who have a much lower compensation, Right. Now we're seeing more CISOs grow there or move there because it's more interesting. The cost of living is, is lower. I can get a decent job and I can still serve the U.S., right, as a full-time or a VCSO. So and that's something I explored was moving to Australia to, to be a VCSO and just, you know, abandoning the U.S. Right. for a bit. But um, I think we're also seeing just um, a kind of a writing of the ship, right? Silicon Valley was notorious for overpaying or paying extremely well, which is really, and, and now that remote work is more common, um, you can't fetch the same price that you did five, 10 years ago in Silicon Valley, because you don't have to be, for a lot of companies, you don't have to be in Silicon Valley. Now, for those that do, they're going to pay those, those big comps, but I'm seeing even those come down some. I'm seeing, you know, Roles that would have paid 350 base five years ago, paying 250 base in, in San Francisco now, and that's that's a big drop. Right? That is that is a big drop, and and I know people out there will be shocked, but 250 is not really enough to live in San Francisco. It's really not. Like not not by not by a stretch. Yeah, and I'm seeing I'm seeing nonprofits right being able to pay the pay that they paid five years ago hasn't changed that much, but they're able to attract more talent now. Um, because their pay has held steady and hasn't 
collapsed and now people are more interested in the mission. It's like, well, if I'm going to get paid by a 300 person company over here, 150,000 versus a, a nonprofit that I really believe in and right. is willing to pay me 140, like I'm, I'm going to go to the nonprofit now. Right. And they, they tend to have a little bit more stability in those organizations. Plus they, since they know they can't pay, they generally have good, good benefits. And good culture. So yeah. Yeah. Culture, culture is important. And, and I think, I think we're definitely seeing a shift in culture around the whole cybersecurity and, and technology risk function. Um, and, and hopefully that'll change. But I, I mean, I was talking with a, a buddy of mine, so he's uh, on the insurance side of the house. And he was, he was telling me he's hearing more and more from their clients that they're actually looking to bring in CISOs that don't have the technical background. Because to your point, you put politics and influencers I think that is really what the what the CISO has to do more of. I had a I had a, a conversation with uh, a, an OG CISO a couple of weeks ago, and I said to him, I said, "What do you think the biggest gap is?" And he said, "It's managing sh- managing stakeholder expectation, not setting, but managing." And and that and I you 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 used an interesting word which I I hate the word but I think in this context it's right you used the word influencer because I think influencer is like a it's amazing that that's a career but don't 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 get me started but but I think within the context of what you do and and what security people are doing I think that is a lot of of what it is so tell me. What uh, what are some of the unique challenges that you're seeing, other than just the the money issue? But what are some of the unique challenges you're seeing in your your SMB client base? Now, obviously, we know they don't have the money, but what there's other things I'm sure that are different there. Well, it, you know, it's it's interesting to me because I have the the big you know Silicon Valley connection. I spent ten years in the Valley and working for names like Netgear and Netflix and working for startups and that sort of thing. And I'm seeing more and more non-software companies. I've I've just wrapped up an ISO twenty seven thousand and one with a physical secured company, um, and they were on it. Right? They were better than any security or e- uh, I'm sorry, any um, SaaS or e-commerce company I've ever worked with. Because they understood, they had other ISO certifications, and they understood that no, we can't fudge this. We have to, we have to walk the walk, right? We we got to talk the talk. We got to write all of this down exactly as we're doing it, and then we have to be able to defend it in front of an auditor. So, getting them, it was a sixty-five person physical security company. Getting them to ISO twenty-seven thousand and one was very little work for me. I mean, I, I did need to direct them and give them insight. But they did all the hard work. They did the policy development because they wanted to own it. They did all of the the technical changes. Their IT person was on top of it, right? Um, And I think I'm going to see more and more of that. More companies, I'm hearing from more small companies um, that have physical presence, right? Small healthcare offices, for example. Uh, They don't necessarily need an ISO 27001 or a SOC 2 or anything, or even a high trust certification, but they want to do the right thing. And I think that's very interesting. That's the piece. And that's why I've shifted my focus to that sub 30 employee space. Um, They want to do the right thing from the start. So if I can get a startup and start coaching that CEO and that CTO through security concepts from day one, that is going to be a much better product in five years than somebody who's been developing on the same product, the same legacy product for 15, right? 
So I, I think that's the big shift is that we're just seeing a lot more companies that aren't software companies really starting to look for those VCs and services. Yeah, we're we're seeing something similar from sort of like I, I refer to businesses as information centric or non-information centric, right? If your business is about moving ones and zeros, we're starting to see a lot more non-information centric companies starting to look at cyber, looking at IT risk, looking at their their ecosystem risk. Why is that? Well, because I don't care what you do. If you get hit with ransomware, you're less likely to be able to do what it is that that you need to you need exactly. to be able to do. Exactly. And and the, the so one of the things we used to hear talking to to smaller companies was we're not a target. What do you have to say to to a small company that says that to you? You know, I'm I'm fortunate in that. Um, I get all pretty much all of my business through referrals. And so that means that that company has already recognized that they are in some way a target that they need me. So I've got that, that confirmation bias already. Um, but I have run into like at startup events. Well, you know, I don't need you guys. And like, well, you have, you have a bank account, right? Like <laughs> you've, You're a target. You have an email address and a bank account. You're a target period. End of discussion. And, you know, um, when you talk them through that, Oh, I, I deal with a lot of artists, just as my friend group is full of artists, for example. Uh, and, and me trying to get artists to turn multi-factor authentication on and the pushback. And you see this a lot at small companies as well from you know, turning on MFA, um, the pushback. This, this extra two seconds is just um, it's intolerable. Uh, and it's kind of an easier sell with the, the artist because I'm like, oh, you think this is inconvenient? Wait until your, your identity gets stolen. Right. right. Oh, and by the way, this author over here just just tweeted about that, just blogged about that, um, and they turn it on much more quickly. Then it's a little harder in a small business because you've got kind of the legacy folks who are entrenched in doing the things that they like to do their way, um, and now you have to make this a part of their success. This is no longer about securing the business, right? This is now about how security makes you successful within this organization, and that's. You know, that's a shift that some tech people never understand. Um, right. We, well, we have to, we got to get rid of all the tech people. Then then all the problems would, would go away. But the, the point you just made, I think, is really is really a critical one. And, and this is something when I used to work with people on awareness, I always used to say, look, nobody cares about protecting your company, but what they care about is protecting themselves. If you teach them how to personalize and internalize, then they bring the behavior back to work. And and I think that's a really, really critical thing. And, you know, when I was at Martha Stewart years ago, they had no security program. I built that thing with, you know, with nothing. And the main reason I was able to do that is I went to them and said, look, you you told us these images, these digital images are worth $3,000. We're not doing anything to protect them. And they went, oh, oh, like, what do you mean? I said, well, Somebody could steal these photographs and publish it as their own. Are you okay with that? Well, of course not. Well, we're not doing anything to keep that from happening. So that 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 resonating. And I would imagine that because in these smaller companies, you're probably exposed to the senior folks more often. So I think that stuff tends to resonate with them uh, a, a little bit better. Let's do a little, little bit of role play, a little scenario play. So I am I am the owner of a, of a small company. I have five employees. I build kitchens. Um, I invite you in to come talk to me. What are the three or four things you're going to suggest that I do or that you're going to look at first? Oh, boy. I've written so many articles on this. <laughs> the first thing I look at is their email, right? Um, 
what comes through their email? Is your email secure? Do you have you know, Spiff, DMARC, DCAM, all of those generic things set up? Um, are you using it? Who has access to it? How is it connected to your bank account, right? Do you have multi-factor authentication turned on on everything? Uh, for small businesses, I actually focus a lot on um, social media. I want you to log into your Facebook account. I want you to log into your Twitter or Instagram or you know, TikTok. And I want to, to see with my own eyes that you have multi-factor authentication on. Um, those are the three things that for a really small business, because, you know, a lot of small businesses exist on Insta and Facebook. They, they may have a website, but their market is on Insta and Facebook. And so anything that I can do to coach them through protecting that, uh, is going to prevent a lot of heartache for them. Interesting. All right. So, so the email and those things, that's definitely something I would think about, but the, the looking at the social media, I think that's interesting. I also think people, people have a tendency to reuse passwords. Don't, don't reuse passwords, people. Um, but, but I, I think that's interesting. And we, we had a conversation uh, with a potential partner a few weeks ago, and they're essentially an MSSP for a bunch of small companies. And they said, well, all of our customers, they're using cloud for everything and they have no control. And I said, right, but do they know what their exposures are? And, and the answer is they, they don't. Maybe they can't go make you know Microsoft deploy patches in four hours instead of four days, or, and not to beat on Microsoft because everyone's doing it. But you know, their, their whole thing was they, they have no leverage. And I said, but you don't have any awareness, at least if we raise awareness of what the risk exposures are. And I know our listeners have heard me talk about this a bunch of times, and this is true for any organization. Your executives care about three things, money coming in, money going out. And if something bad happens, who's in trouble? And it, it simplifies to, to those things. And, you know, reputation fits in there, I think, especially for small companies where the, you know, the name of the CEO might be the name, the name on the company and that reputation is inextricably linked. Yeah, there. yeah. it's it, because that, at that point, security is part of your brand management for a very small company. Right, um, right. But I'm seeing more and more small companies uh, go cloud first, like... We got rid of all of our, you know, IT stuff. We use Chromebooks. You know, we keep it super simple, um, and everything's in the cloud now. So it's a, you know, okay, let's check your configurations. Uh, it, you know, Microsoft 365 is such a pain in the butt for a small company because you're you're going to get more out of Microsoft or Google Workplace if you've got a knowledgeable person looking at it. But they give you this illusion that you can do it all yourself. And there's three places to set security, right, in, in 365. And a small business owner doesn't necessarily know that or have the time to, to figure that out. And, and they don't know the right questions to ask, right? If people don't, if people don't know, you know, oh, that never occurred to me is a, is a, a, big, a big problem in, in our space um, in our space these days. So right. that's why I get a lot of referrals, right? Because... Somebody will go, hey, buddy, you're a security engineer at Google. Like, what do I do to secure my small business? And, the, and it used to be like, I don't know. Like, you don't have $10,000 to throw at it. $100,000 to throw at it. Then that's not my problem. But uh, now I get most of my referrals from full-time security people who are like, I don't do that. But Carluda does. So go talk to her. Right. right. Um, and, and a lot of it is just education. Right. Education. I'm, I'm a big, a big fan of that, but I, my thing, education needs to be a team effort, right? It can't be you being pedantic and going you better or else I'm going right. to wag my finger more aggressively next right. time. 
Right. So excellent. Right. You've you've got to fit it into what they're doing. Uh, right. Any I have one of my many mantras is any friction that you introduce to somebody else's process is immediately an obstacle. So you have to make them want to overcome that obstacle. You have to make it meaningful for them, right? Uh, and that's especially true with a small business. But on the other hand, if it's the owner, they're much more motivated because, okay, you're adding friction. This is an obstacle. But I also understand that I am at risk. Uh, again, a little bit of bias because people who do work with me have already established that they have risk. Right, 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 right. Yeah, they're not reaching out to you if they don't realize they have a problem. We are running up against the end of our time, and I want to be cognizant of your schedule. I have a couple of takeaways that I kind of scrawled here, and then and then I will kick it over to you for any final thoughts. So first thing, Six String Samurai, got to go check it out. I'm going to actually put that on my list. Uh, and then just self-serving, also check out Blue Eye Samurai on Netflix. I really, I love that. When, once you watch it, let me know. Let me know what you think. Um, okay, so one of the key things you hit on, which I'm a big fan of, which is I'm here to solve problems, right? Not here to sell anything. I'm not here to order people around. I'm not here to wag my finger and make you feel bad about yourself. I'm here to help you solve problems. So I love that. Um, and then, then this is more of a question, but you know, does a virtual CISO or fractional CISO need to have actually been a CISO for a, a Fortune 1000? And I think the general consensus is it might be helpful, but I don't think it's a requirement. And, and I agree with you there. Um, and then I love your sort of take on the fact that a big chunk of this is about politics and about influencing, right? So you're, you're not trying to sell a purse, but you are trying to influence people and get them to kind of think about things in a different way and, and at least then be empowered to make better decisions. So I love that. All right. Any final thoughts for our listeners before we send everyone on their merry way? Uh, my final thought is that a, a CISO who understands the business, and this is for mid-sized organizations, small and mid-sized organizations, a CISO who understands the business is a CIO who understands security, right? So I think that in that, that 50 to 500 space, you're going to see in the next few years a consolidation of the CIO and CISO role um, because you know, the, it'll be a CIO with a head of security who's more deeply technical probably. But that's that's my prediction. interesting. Let's let's think back up in five years. And- I, I we we I I generally I push back when they tell me to make make predictions because predictions aren't worth the paper they're written on. But I actually like that. It's an interesting one. Uh, so all right. So five years from today, we will get together on another episode of Risk and Reels, and we'll we'll talk about it. So uh, again, I want to thank our guest, Carlota Sage, uh, founder and CEO of Pocket CISO. Uh, So Carlota, it was a a pleasure to get to know you even better. I'm looking forward to our further further interaction. So uh, definitely follow follow Carlota on LinkedIn. She posts some some cool stuff, and she's got some uh, interesting friends around her, which I'm I'm a big fan. I think you can you can tell you can tell a lot about people by who they're friends with, and the fact that you and I are friends, I think maybe make looking for both of us. Thank you very much. It was great chatting with you today. See you soon. Excellent. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay secure. Make sure you subscribe below so you don't miss any future episodes. Wheatman out. Thank you for listening to Risk and Reels, a cybersecurity podcast. Be sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to riveting 30-minute conversation about movies and cybersecurity. 
Jeffrey will be on the road this year at some of the industry's biggest events, but you can always find him on LinkedIn and Twitter at Jeffrey Wheatman. This podcast is powered by Blackkite, the only security rating service to deliver the highest quality intelligence to help organizations make better risk decisions.